Thank you, Helen. Father, I pray today that these beautiful verses that we've read will become real in each of our lives and that it might be for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're working our way through the letter to the Philippians and this whole series has been about our attitudes and looking at the attitudes that we ought to be having as Christian people. And today I want to look at the attitude of joy and peace. A question I have for you, do joyful Christians have less problems than non-joyful Christians? No, they don't. But there is a difference, isn't there, in their attitude. And that's what I want to look at today. Because when I find that I, you know, there are times when I struggle and things are hard, and I go back to reading the scriptures again, and I find that there's evidence there that my name is written in the book of life. And for every single one of us that claims Jesus is our Savior and as our Lord, we can all say, my name is written in the book of life. And that's exciting to think about. When Jesus was doing battle with the devil, he said, it is written. And then he confounded the devil with some wonderful scripture. He used that to defeat him. But when the devil gets at us, our circumstances, sometimes our failures, we need to cast our mind back to what the Bible says. It is written. What does the Bible say to us? And I think we can be just like the Apostle Paul. Because Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. He did that. He rejoiced in the Lord always. And he could do that because he knew, he knew his name was written in the book of life. It was written in the blood of Jesus. And his name could not be erased. No matter what. And that's why... We can be joyful Christians. Jesus loves me, this I know, because the Bible tells me so. You've heard it before. You've had it since, you know, Scripture days. Well, let's have a look at how we can develop this kind of rejoicing attitude. The first point I want to make this morning is that we need to choose to rejoice in all things. Now, how could the Apostle Paul say that? How could he possibly choose to rejoice? Particularly when we look at Paul's relationship to the Philippians in the past. Because the first time he came to Philippi, to that city, he was beaten by the mob. Remember that incident in, in the book of Acts? Paul and Silas, they came along and they delivered the girl from the, from the spirit of divination. And they got beaten and put in prison for it in Philippi. Incredibly, now he talks about his love and longing for these Philippians. It could have been the same people that were in the mob that beat him in the first place and threw him in jail. They could have been part of the Philippian church. Yet he was rejoicing in these folks. And now as he writes this letter to the Philippians, he's again in jail because of his faith. He writes to the Philippians probably from prison in Rome. Doesn't sound like a good time to be rejoicing when you're in jail, does it? But there he was. And there were people out there that were, were preaching the gospel out of false motives. They were trying to stir up problems for Paul. Yet he still rejoices. He's just then, last week we, we heard the story too. He had to sort out two ladies. They're in a dispute. But he still loves them. He's still rejoicing. Not only that, Paul's an itinerant missionary. And the, the support from the Philippian church had dropped off. Yet still he rejoices. What a mixed bag. Hardly any reason so far for rejoicing, is there? But Paul could rejoice. And why is that? What's the key to rejoicing? Well, I told you already, first of all, his name is written in the book of life. 
Eternity is sorted out for him. It's in the scripture, by the way. Have a look at Philippians chapter 4. It talks about those whose names are written in the book of life. So he can rejoice because of that. And he rejoiced in the Lord. And I like those words that he uses. He rejoices in the Lord. He's not rejoicing in his circumstances. Listen to another of Paul's statements about rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 to 18. He says, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now I looked at that scripture and I looked at that scripture and thought, what's the key to this? How does he manage to do this? He gives thanks in all circumstances. He doesn't give thanks for all circumstances. And I find that's an interesting difference. For example, I don't have to praise God for my illnesses. I can praise God in my illnesses, but I have to praise Him for them. It's a different thing. Now, you might find that a bit contentious, but let's have a look at it. I for Personally, for example, I don't believe that it's His will for us. I don't, I don't have to praise God for sicknesses or for sins or for tragedies that befall us. That's not God's perfect will as far as I'm concerned. God's will is perfection. God's will is done in heaven. Well, there's no sin, sickness, or any of those other things there, is there, in heaven. So that's what I'm praying for. That's what I'm looking for. So let's not blame God for the work of the devil that's being done on the earth. But what we are meant to do is to praise God in the midst of our difficulties. That's where I can praise God, in the midst of difficulties that I face. To maintain our sanity, to take hold of his victory over those things. And whilst we're focused on him, he gives us the strength to overcome these problems. Not just to cope, but to be more than conquerors in all the circumstances of life that we face. And if we can't see any victory in our lives, then we simply need to keep on looking to Jesus. Rejoice in the Lord, for in him we see the victory. By faith, we hold on to the victory and we make it ours as well. We rejoice in the Lord always. And again, he says, rejoice. Always in the Lord. So first of all, what does Paul do there? He chooses to rejoice in all things. Secondly, he's choosing to practice the presence of God. Have a look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 5. It says, let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Or, as it says in the King James, the Lord is at hand. Now, this can have two meanings for us. First of all, the second coming of the Lord, of course, is at hand. Jesus will return to end history and establish his eternal kingdom in all of its fullness. I'm excited by that. Praise God. And that's a very helpful bit of knowledge. And for many, that's enough. But this is still future-oriented. What about now? Jesus is also here right now. He's at hand. Where's my hand? Well, it's right there at the end of my arm. He's close by to me. He's here. He's here in his people through the working of his spirit. We have God in us. Jesus promised. He says, Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us. His spirit is with us. We can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. Having Jesus with us right now means that we are not beaten no matter what our circumstances are. The tough bit, of course, is allowing to manifest himself. So Paul explains that too. 
My third point is verses 6 and 7. Let me read them again for you. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what we're doing here is we're going to choose, notice that word choose, that's something that you can do. This is an act of your will. You're going to choose to hand over your concerns to God. So what happens when we hand our problems over to God? And how, how do we actually do this handing over? Well, let's have a look at the promises in these verses, first of all. The peace of God, it talks about that. The peace of God. Now, note that the peace of God is not limited to your feelings, to having a sense of peace. The Hebrew for peace is the word shalom. And the root meaning of this is wholeness, fully finished, made perfect, entire. That's what we call our salvation. It's a big thing. It's a complete work of God. So how do I understand the peace of God a little bit better? Well, let's use some scripture to understand scripture. What does the peace of God mean? You might like to turn with me to uh, Hebrews chapter 13 verses 20 and 21. <clears throat> Hebrews 13, 20 and 21. It says, May the peace of God, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So here it talks about the peace of God. This is the peace of God we're talking about, which is God's work in bringing about the resurrection, a completed work through Jesus Christ. This is victory and this is power. This is the peace of God, resurrecting power. That's the kind of peace that we have with us. Well, let's have a look at another place where the peace of God is referred to in Romans chapter 16, verse 20. Romans chapter 16, verse 20 says, The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. I like that. The God of peace is crushing Satan. Not peace for him, is it? Peace for us. Crushing Satan. Satan's going to be our footstool. That's victory. That's power. This God of ours can do anything. He can bring about the resurrection. He can crush the devil. Is there any problem now? Is there any situation that we face with such a God that he cannot deal with? I don't think so. Well, if that's true, why don't you hand your problems over to him? Stop trying to solve it yourself. Hey, are you God? I'm not, but he is. Hand it over. All right, let's go back to uh, Philippians. Have a look there again. <coughs> Excuse me. Okay, Philippians. And the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds. So this is God which is which this is peace which is passing all understanding in verse 7. We're talking about something that's beyond explanation, a supernatural event. 
You see, our God is not dead. He is supernaturally alive. And look at the ministry. Look at the ministry of Jesus. He dealt with sickness. He dealt with material needs. He dealt with demons. He dealt with death itself. God can and will do anything if we simply ask Him. Listen to what it says in, John's God, in, in John. In 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 and 15, it says, And this is the confidence which we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know what he, that He hears us, we have whatever we ask. And we know that we have obtained the requests made of Him. Okay? Confidence with God. We can come to Him with our problems. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 and 32. What then shall we say to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, will He not also give us all things with Him? There's another passage that will give you great confidence when you come before God in prayer. Listen to what Jesus says. Whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. There's great confidence in handing over your problems to God. This is all supernatural. This is all the work of God. This surpasses all understanding. Who can explain it? Except for your faith. And this will guard your hearts and your minds. The picture here is of a castle. A castle that's surrounded by enemies. The castle is your mind. And if that castle, for example, your mind, can be held against the attack, the castle is going to get stronger. You'll grow in your faith. If the attack succeeds, of course, we're going to backslide. We're going to have spiritual decadence sent in. But the Bible says that God is guarding our minds. I like that. This is the, res this is the rescuing, resurrecting, devil and enemy crushing God. He's going to set a guard on our minds. Our minds are patrolled by a troop of the king of kings. They're under his command. And that's what's guarding our minds. And this troop is going to raise up a mighty flag, the standard of the peace of God. Can you see that in your mind's eye for a moment? This flag over your mind. The peace of God is there. And inside the castle, inside your mind, we are secure, we are quiet, we are with the King of Kings Himself. He is our companion. The God of peace is with us. I find that to be exciting. Okay. So, what are the conditions of these verses? Because these wonderful promises, they are in fact conditional. There's something we need to do. How do we bring these things into action? Well, have a look again at verse 7 if you would. Verse 7 starts with a, th a three-letter word, and. A-N-D. And the peace of God. That and that's there means that the promise is consequent upon something that's happened previously or something that's been previously stated. That's something else that's been previously stated is a series of commands. There is something that you and I need to do. The word's saying that if you want to enjoy the promises, then you've got to obey the commands. So let's state them as, as three laws. The first law is the law of relationship. Rejoice in the Lord. The Lord is at hand. Do you have a relationship with the Lord? That's the central feature of Christianity. It's Jesus. We are to relate to Him. He's our joy. He's our Savior. He's our Lord. And unless we have a relationship with Him, we cannot enjoy the peace of God. But if you have a relationship with Him, the peace of God can be yours. 
And we're also meant to let our gentleness be known to all people. That means we are to be like Jesus in all of our circumstances. We just accept the people around us as they are. We love them just like Jesus did. Be like Jesus. The Lord's at hand. We're going to be like him. That's the law of relationship. We love him so much that we become like him. We have a relationship with him. Secondly, there's the law of circumstances, which is in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything. Now, there's a wonderful, timeless antidote for anxiety, and it's not Valium. So many people go to the doctor and they need a dose of Valium to get their problems sorted out. To beat anxiety and to enjoy God's peace, we are to be anxious for nothing. That means you put your will into gear. It says, be anxious for nothing. It's something we've got to be. It's, something, it's an action we take. It's a choice we make. We make a decision. We're not going to say, oh, how am I going to cope? No, we say, hang on a second. My name is written in the book of life. I belong to God. He is my God. I am in this with Him. It's His problem to solve with that resurrecting, devil-crushing power that He's got as God. I have a covenant relationship with Him. Be not anxious. That's the law of how you deal with your circumstances. In verse 6, it says, But in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving. Okay, so we've got so far the law of relationship. With Je we're with Jesus. The law of circumstances. I'm not going to be anxious in my circumstances. And the final law is the one I'm going to pray. The law of prayer. So we pray. Notice we've actually got to do that. You have to pray. And you stop, you focus in on God, and you tell Him about the situation. We address the problem to God. I once got a big bill in the, in the, in the mail. Huge bill. I opened this letter up and it was huge. I thought, my goodness. It was for helicopter repairs. <laughs> I thought, hang on a second. I don't have a helicopter. <laughs> it was addressed to the wrong person. <laughs> I sent the bill elsewhere. It's not my bill. It's somebody else's. Return to sender. It's kind of the same with, you, with, with, pray, with, with your problems and prayer. You say, oh, hang on a second. Uh, I'll just put that in the upstairs basket if you don't mind. <laughs> he can deal with it. So we address the problem to God. That's what we're going to do in prayer. We don't, we, we don't retreat into some corner and whinge and complain. We simply bring the matter to God. That's what supplication is all about. It's about coming with humble petition before God. And we ask him about what we want him to do. Now, you might find that a little bit hard. Oh, how, I, how, can I, how can I come to God with my problems? I mean, God's running the universe and he's dealing with your problems. He can't, surely he's busy today. Have a look in Mark's gospel, if you would. Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, uh, verses 46 to 52. So if you've got problems coming to God, I want you to understand this little bit of scripture. Mark chapter 10. Verses 46 to 52. This is the story about blind Bartimaeus. Let me read it for you. They came to Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, call him. 
So they said, they called the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. Now hang on a sec, this is a blind man throwing his cloak aside. He hasn't got much. This is his only covering. He's just thrown it aside and he's blind. He's expecting something. He jumped to his feet and he came to Jesus. Listen to what Jesus says. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. I love that particular passage. It, the words of Jesus are so wonderful. What do you want me to do for you? Can you imagine that? Coming to the Savior, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, and he says, what do you want me to do for you? He asks you this simple, profound question. At first of all, you think, like, wouldn't it be obvious there's a blind man? Duh. But no, he says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want? These are gentle, they're loving, they're kind words. So if, if coming to God freaks you out, think of coming to Jesus. Because Jesus reveals the Father to us. And he reveals the Father's heart. Jesus cares. And he wants to know what you want him to do for you. You can call upon, upon the power of the living God. So what would you like to do today with your burdens? That, you're, that are crippling you emotionally or spiritually or physically? Will you continue to carry these burdens all by yourself? Or will you hand it over to Jesus and from that point on just thank Him that you have the answer you need in Christ and begin to walk in freedom? The problem's not yours anymore. It belongs to the living God. And He's going to apply His saving, resurrecting, devil-crushing power to your situation. When you do that, when you do that, you can choose to rejoice in God. You can choose to practice the presence of God. He is, in fact, with you. And you can choose to hand over your concerns to God. And then you can pray with thanksgiving. and walk free of your burden. Brothers and sisters, you've heard the message. It's now up to you to apply it to your lives. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the way that you challenge us again from your word. So profound, so life-changing. Thank you, Father, for the incredible promise that we can have your peace that transcends all of our understanding. Thank you, Father, for the incredible promise that you will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And Lord, we want to affirm again, say, yes, we have relationship with you. We've put our faith in Christ. And you've given us the Holy Spirit who enables us to make the choice in all circumstances to not be, to not be anxious anymore. And Father, we thank you too that you've given us the spirit of prayer so that we know how to come before you with all of our requests and all of our petitions. Father, transform us. Enable us to put this into practice from this day forward that we truly might be 
rejoicing in the Lord always. And may that be for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name.